Do you remember a time or a moment that you realized the depth of your sin? Do you remember the darkness of your heart and your tremendous sin problem? Do you remember that moment? Now I want you to think about how you begin to feel knowing that in that moment you can face a perfect and holy God. Finally, how do you feel or how did you feel when you heard the good news for the first time? The gospel, the good news about Christ and what he has done. So this afternoon, what I want you to do is I want you to keep those thoughts in mind. I want you to keep those thoughts in mind about how at one time, yeah, like the, the depth of your sin and how deep and dark your sin is and how yeah, tremendous of a sin problem we all have. Then I want you to think about in that moment, in that state, if you were to face a holy, righteous, good, perfect God, how that would end for you. And then for those of us who have trusted Jesus, who have believed upon him, how did you feel when you first heard this good news? This message about God's plan for salvation to all who would turn from their sin and turn to him by trust. So keep those thoughts in mind as we walk through this time together. So with God's help, I'll aim by his grace to answer how sinful human beings can be made right with God. This is what I hope to do in our time together as we continue in our sermon series uh, called What We Believe Together as we are walking through our statement of faith. So we'll be looking at the next article, and that next article in our statement of faith is a wondrous truth, a beautiful truth called justification. Justification. So turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4, verses 23 through 25. That's where we're going to be. And as you turn there, let me ask God for his help again. And then also read the article on justification to follow. Let me, let me pray for us. God, thank you for how you've already been working. Pray, Lord, that you would continue to work now through the preached word. And that you would, yeah, yeah, speak to all of our hearts in every way that you see fit. Work in our hearts in every way that you deem best. As we think about this wondrous truth, this doctrine of justification, I pray, God, that yeah, we would all hear it in fresh ways this afternoon. And maybe for some of us for the first time. And that indeed you would help us to see Christ and what he has done on our behalf. Be with us now. Glorify yourself. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This should be on the screen. So justification is our next article where we're at this afternoon here what it says. Here's what it reads. It says, we believe that the great gospel blessing 
which Christ secures to such as believe in him is justification. That justification includes the pardon of sin and the promise of eternal life on principles of righteousness. That it is bestowed not in consideration of any works of righteousness, which we have done, but solely through faith in the Redeemer's blood, by virtue of which faith his perfect righteousness is freely imputed to us of God, that it brings us into a state of most blessed peace and favor with God and secures every other blessing needful for time and eternity. This is what we as a church believe about justification. So that's what we believe. That's what our statement of faith says. Now let's look at the Bible where this is taught. So Romans 4 verses 23 through 25 says, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So this is God's word. Amen. 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 So if I had to summarize this passage, for those of you guys who are taking notes, it may go something like this. We are made right with God through belief in God's son. Very simply put, this is what the text is telling us. We are made right with God through by belief in God's son. So two points this afternoon, which are the main idea broken down for us. Number one, we are made right with God. We'll see that in verses 23 through 24a. Number two, through belief in God's son. We'll see that in verses 24b through 25. Number one, we are made right with God. Number two, through belief, by belief in God's son. Let's look at the first one together. We are made right with God. Look back with me at verse 23. Here's what it says. It says, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. So what words are Paul referring to here? What are those words? Well, the text tells us if you continue to read the words that Paul is referring to is it was counted to him. All right. And it's these words that were written for his sake. So those words that Paul are referring to are the same words that were written for this particular person's sake. And we learn that his sake, the person that he's referring to is Abraham. So Abraham from the Old Testament, who uh, is was a patriarch of Israel. We learn this as Paul is using him as an illustration uh, starting in the beginning of the chapter of chapter four. And if you even look uh, at verse 13, you, you see that this tells us about a promise that was made to Abraham. Right. This promise that was made to Abraham. Look at Romans 4, 13. It says for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So this is essentially what we have here, an allusion to 
uh, or a New Testament use of the Old Testament. And what went down is, is that God made a promise to Abraham, made a promise to Abraham that he would have an offspring and be the father of many nations. We are told that Abraham, taking God at his word, he believed God and that because of his belief, because of his faith, that God counted it to him as righteousness. Right. What does it say? And Brother Doug read this before the sermon. It says in Genesis 15, 6, it says, and he talking about Abraham, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is what Paul is referring to as the words written for Abraham's sake. These are the words, the words of scripture found in the Old Testament that I just read. This is a, a, a beautiful example of seeing a New Testament author, Paul, interpreting and applying the Old Testament to his audience then, but then also to us today. So the word counted there is the same word used in other translations, meaning credited to. Right. Or a fancy word, as you all may know, imputed. Right. So imputed. What this means is, is that. There was something credited to Abraham. There was something counted to Abraham. There was something imputed to Abraham that he didn't possess, but that it was given to him as if it was his. This is the idea here. This is what imputed means. This is what counted to means. This is what credited to means that this was given to this thing was given to him. Something that he didn't possess, but it came from God. It was given to him as if it was his. And that's something that we learned that was given to him was what? Righteousness. It was righteousness. We see that in Genesis 15, 6, and even in our passage. And even if you look just above verse 22, uh, we see that what was credited to Abraham was righteousness. So Abraham, like us, was a sinner, a sinner separated from God. And we know that God and he alone is righteous, is holy, is pure, is good. Yet what we are seeing here is that Abraham was counted as righteous in God's sight. How can this be? How can someone who is sinful be counted, be credited to as someone who is righteous? So we know that righteous is an attribute that belongs to God. And as one definition puts it, it's this. This is what righteousness is or being righteous is. It's the, the quality or state of being morally correct and justifiable. It can be considered synonymous with rightness or being upright. So we learn that this was, yeah, what was credited to Abraham, but not only was this promise written to Abraham, but we also learned that it was made to us as well. That this promise was made to us. So verse 23, it says, but the words, it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, 
but for ours also. Ours also. Obviously, the context, the audience of Paul, Paul's audience, but also to us today. This affirms what Paul says later in the book of Romans. He says in Romans 15, 4, he says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have what? Hope. We might have hope. So this is really encouraging news. This is really encouraging news, especially for anyone struggling to trust God this afternoon. For any of us struggling to trust God this afternoon, this is encouraging. Here's some some of the truths that this tells us this afternoon. Number one, that God is trustworthy in character. That God is trustworthy in character, that there are no flaws in God's character. There are no blemishes in God's character. He's perfect. He's holy. He's good. He's trustworthy. Worthy. Listen to First John 1 John 1.5. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So God is, one, trustworthy in character. Number two, not only is he trustworthy in character, but God's word is true. Listen to Numbers 23, 19. It says, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? This is Numbers 23, 19. Numbers 23, 19 also affirms how our God is a promise keeper. We've been singing about that, even praying about that, thinking about that as the theme of our time this afternoon, that that our God is a promise keeper. What he promises, he will do. What he says, he will fulfill. There are no broken promises on God's end. None. Nothing that he said that he hasn't done or that he won't do. Emphasis, though, on what he promises, what he promises, not the promises or the wants you and I substitute in and try to hold God hostage. Not any of those things, the things he has promised, the things that he said he will do. So some of us may feel frustrated. We may even feel confused. We may even be disappointed with God because you, we feel that he let us down. They let us down on something or that he didn't come through on a promise that you really made. That he didn't necessarily make, but that you made and that you're holding him hostage to. No. The truth of what we've been seeing thus far, who God is, is in his character and in his word and what he has said. He always comes through on his promises. He always comes through on his promises. And he will come through on his promises. 
This is who he is. And we are reminded of that from our text this afternoon. So for those of us who are saved, think about this again. We were once enemies of God. Set apart from God. Destined to hell. Now friends of God. Made right with God. Promise fulfilled. He would save his people. And we are living witnesses of that. There are many others who are living witnesses of that. And there are many others who are to come. Who will be living witnesses of this promise. This is a beautiful thing that God comes through. On his promises. We can trust him this afternoon. You can trust him. You can believe upon him. You can take him at his word. He is true. What he said he'll do, he will do it. I even, yeah. One example I was just even reflecting on, um, even talking to, um, you know, my wife earlier this week about it. And um, my dad, uh, he used to say this all the time. Um, he, used to, he used to say, so my, my mom, as you guys know, was a Christian, I walked with the Lord. And uh, he would say, you know, things that my mom has said from God's word. And he would say, he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like your mother uh, and through God's word. Yeah. Promise long life, a, 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 lo- a, a promise of long life. And I remember just reflecting on that this week as I was just, you know, getting ready and just thinking about and wrestling a bit myself, wrestling a bit myself of like, yeah, like he said this and he believed wholeheartedly to this. But my dad passed. Right. And so just wrestling, just like, God, like, I know you. Yeah. Like, I know you come through on your promises. What you promise, you say you will do. You will do it. And then I was listening to uh, I forget the song I was listening to. I was listening to one of the songs. Who was it, babe? Oh, it, it was Hillsong Say the Word. And in that song, uh, you know, Taya is just speaking to yeah, God's word and the sufficiency of it and the truth of it. And uh, there was a line in there uh, where it says um, basically like promise uh, from cross to grave. And obviously for me in that moment, I was like, and resurrection. I, was like, <laughs> I had to add in the resurrection. But what I was getting at and thinking about is God did fulfill this promise. He did, but just not in this life. In the next life, as my dad took his last breath, he entered into glory. And so as I was just reflecting on that and just thinking about that, I was like, wow, Lord, like, like just even for me, just being reminded this week of God, you come through on what you say you will do. You come through on it. You saved my dad. And I was just, yeah, just reflecting on that myself and just thinking like, wow, this is amazing. This is the God we serve. So for any of us here, whatever you are wrestling with, the things that you are struggling with, the things that you are like, God, like, ah, I thought you said this or I thought that this was going to happen. Or maybe you thought that this was going to happen, you know, years before or years ahead. It hasn't come through yet for you. Whatever that thing might be, whatever that is. 
If God has said he's going to do it from his word, believe it. Rest in it. Trust it. Again, we don't want to hold God hostage to things that we have promised and things that we have said. But the things that God has said in his word that he'll do, trust him. Rest in him. Believe upon him. So that's, that's number one. That's number one. That we are made right with God. Number two, through belief in God's son. Through belief in God's son. Look back with me. Verses 24b through 25. Here's what it says. It says, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So just like Abraham, we, those who have put their faith in Jesus, have been justified. So that word justified or justification means to be declared righteous, right? So we have been declared righteous or made right with God through faith by belief in God. So the point says belief through God's son, which is true, that we as Christians have been justified by faith alone through Christ alone. Amen. And this is affirmed all throughout Scripture. We would not have justification apart from God's son. We would not have justification apart from what Jesus has done. Here's one of many examples. Galatians 2 verse 16, it says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So we're not justified by our works, the things that we can do. There's nothing that we can do or have done or will do that can get us into heaven. But everything that Christ has done alone to get us into heaven, as we believe upon that, that's our ticket to heaven. Jesus and what he has done alone. Amen? Amen. But notice in our passage in Romans 4 that it shows the Father as the object of faith, because he is. So to have faith in the Son is to have faith in the Father and also the initiator. Look down in the text, you see that. And so as the initiator, we see the following three actions listed about God, the Father, and these things attributed to him. Number one, he raised Jesus from the dead. That's verse 24b. Two, he delivered Jesus up for our trespasses. Number three, he raised Jesus for our justification. So what we have listed here are really essential tenets of the gospel. This is what we see here in God being the initiator of it all. Right. This being the good news of Jesus. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. The words delivered up are the same words used of Judas, uh, the betrayer, when he betrayed the Lord Jesus and handed him over into the hands of sinners. Right. So the same kind of idea here, delivered up, handed over, given up. Right. But this is what fulfilled the father's plans. So this was a fulfillment of what God initiated, what God deemed, what he planned. So this verse is a fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 4 through 5, 
and also verse 10. Listen in with me to those. So Isaiah 53 verses 4 through 5, it says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. This verse is a fulfillment of what took place here. In Jesus' death. His gruesome death. Listen to verse 10 of Isaiah 53. Of all of this, of Jesus' gruesome death, him being crucified on the cross, the worst kinds of ways to die. Listen to what verse 10 says. Isaiah 53. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Clear to see, just like in our Romans 4 passage, the initiator, God the Father, in the works of the gospel, Jesus fulfilling what God had planned, what the Father had deemed, what he had destined for the Son. Romans 8.32 also affirms this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is the father's doing. Jesus is fulfilling what the father laid out for him. So this Jesus, God's son, lived the perfect sinless life. He died for our trespasses, right? Which is another word for sin. You've heard me use this illustration, or you've heard this illustration a thousand times, I'm sure, from others. But you think about the idea of a trespassing sign. If there was a trespassing sign right outside these doors, you know that that is a warning to say, hey, do not come into this yard. When you come into this yard, you have trespassed. You have broken the law, right? So this is the idea here. That if you do, you broke that law. It's the same with sin. It's the same with God. We are warned by God not to go into the yard. But yet we have gone into the yard and we've made a home in that yard. That's all of us. And we have sinned against God. We have all broken God's law, his command. Right. But this Jesus was delivered up for that. He was delivered up for our trespasses, our sins, our wrongs. And he died on the cross. He was buried in the grave in three days. He was raised from the dead. Offering salvation to all who turn from sin and turn to him by faith. This is how one is made right with God. This is the only way that one is made right with God. And it's through belief in God's son. There's no other way. This is the only way. The only way. This is what's unique. This is what's, yeah, crucial. This is what's essential about Christianity. That Jesus is the only way to God. You have to go through him. He is the roadway. He is the road map to heaven. Not only, though, was he raised from the dead, 
But it also says in the text that he was raised for our justification. Meaning there was an exchange that took place. There was an exchange. There was a, a great exchange as we learned from 2 Corinthians 5.21. What does it say there? 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says, For our sake he made him, so God the Father, we see again the initiator in all of this. He made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the great exchange. This is what, this is what God has done through the person and work of his son and by the spirit to save us, those who have faith in Christ. In that Jesus takes our sin, takes all of our sin, takes all of our wrongdoing, everything that we've done, past, present, and future, and he bore that in his body on the tree. He dies and he's buried and he's raised from the dead. And in doing that, he then gives us his righteousness as if it was ours. This is what justification is. He gives us, same with Abraham, the same with any believer today. He gives us his righteousness as if it was ours. This is something that we get from God. But he looks upon us as if this was our righteousness on the basis of his son. Romans 5.18 says, therefore... As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. This is what God has done in Christ. It's like, it's like if you've probably heard this as well, but it's like the courtroom. If we were in a courtroom right now, and let's say you were guilty you know, for all these different charges, right? You're standing before the judge, and you have committed all these crimes and the judge is about to lay it down on you. He's about to give you a guilty verdict. But then someone comes in and he represents you before this judge. Better yet, not only does he represent you before this judge, this someone says, hey, I'll take the rap for you. I'll take the rap for you. I'll take this for you. You did this, but look, I'm going to take this for you. I'm going to I'm going to take this guilty verdict upon myself in your place for you then the judge looks on this person representing you and taking the rap for you and he treats the innocent guilty and the guilty innocent this is essentially what god has done in justification this is what jesus did for us in the act of justification jesus was innocent yet he was treated as guilty we are guilty now we're looked upon as innocent. We're looked upon as, yeah, saved, free, sins washed away. This is what God has done. This is a beautiful thing. Amen, brother. That is something we should thank the Lord for. That is something we should praise the Lord for. Without it, we would not have relationship with God. Jesus took this upon himself. So Jesus represents us before the Father. But he, yeah, he took the wrath for us before the Father. He took God's wrath upon himself. He drunk the cup that we deserved. He took the full cup of God's wrath in our place. So this is beautiful news. This is, this is what justification is and what God has done in justification. But... 
his being raised for our justification also means that guess what? His sacrifice actually worked. That it actually fulfilled what was promised and what it was set out to do, right? And that it was accepted by God. That when Jesus lived the perfect sinless life and died the death on the cross that we deserve and was raised from the dead for our justification, that God received that. He received that sacrifice. A sweet aroma unto him. And so he accepted it, but that it also really worked. It actually fulfilled in the salvation of many. And it's still fulfilling that promise today. That's why I praise God that if anybody right now, anywhere around the world, calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. This is God fulfilling his promise. He is, as Brother Doug said, he is one who makes promises and he keeps his promises. Praise God that we are living witnesses of that. And there are many, many more witnesses to come. By God's grace. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15 verse 17. This is what he says in, in thinking about this sacrifice really worked and that it was accepted by God. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So if, if Christ did all of what he did, lived and died. Yet he stayed dead. He would have been considered a liar. He would have been considered someone who didn't fulfill promises. He would have been considered someone as just he would have been considered just a mere person, a mere man. Not the savior of the world. Not God as he said he was. But the reality of it is Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. Defeating all of our enemies. And our faith is not futile. It is worth it. It is proving itself. It is showing itself real to us. And real to all who would turn from their sin and turn to Christ. And our faith in Christ has made us home with God. That we are home with him now and that we are being taken home one day. And that what we are doing right now, guess what we're doing? This is training. <laughs> this is training us for home, our eternal home. But if he didn't raise from the dead, what we are doing right now wouldn't be worth it. It would be worthless. What's the point of coming and proclaiming a risen Lord who hadn't risen, who is dead? But he is alive. So what we come to do every Sunday, that's why we shouldn't take this for granted. To be able to come together and worship Jesus, the resurrected Lord and Savior who defeated all of our enemies, who defeated sin, death in the grave and Satan. We get to come and to worship him and lift his name for all that he's done. We shouldn't take that for granted. Praise God that we get to come and do this. Praise God that we get to worship him throughout the week. Praise God for what he has done. This is what he has done. It's a beautiful thing.
something to grow a deeper and deeper appreciation for. So here's two essential applications. Two essential applications by way of close. So for us Christians, I want to encourage us, if you're doing this, to stop treating God like he's your employer. Stop treating God like he's your employer. In the same way we, you know, clock in, we clock in and clock out at our jobs, right? Put the timesheet in, get it signed, et cetera, et cetera. To not, to not view God in the same way. That when you come to church, you're punching the clock. And when you read your Bible, you're punching the clock. When you pray, you're punching the clock. When you share the gospel, you're punching the clock. That's not, that's not how we are to view God. He is our father. He is our good, good father. He didn't receive us by our works, by us punching the clock. No, we're received by him and receive him by the works of another. And that being Christ. So let's not treat God like an employer. Y'all with me? Amen, with me. So I want you to, as we started from the beginning, remember again how you felt when you heard and responded to this good news about Christ. That guess what it does? Guess what this good news does? It frees you from working. It frees you from trying to work and trying to appease God with what you do. You will never be able to. So stop trying. I need to stop trying. Instead, what we all need to do is keep resting. Keep resting upon Christ and his perfect work in our place. Continue to believe upon that. Rest in that. And trust him in that. For non-Christians, believe in God through the Son, as verse 24 tells you to. So what he says here, he says to, to believe in God through the Son. I want you to think about how you would feel to stand before a holy, loving God right now in your sin. I want you to think about that. If that was you, God would judge you swiftly. And rightly. And you would indeed be found guilty. But the good news that we've been walking through this entire sermon about justification is, a, is, is that you don't have to. It's that God sent his son to live, to die, and to rise in your place. If you receive him by faith and trust in him, you can be forgiven. You can be Saved. And so we want to offer him to you this afternoon. That Jesus lived, died, and rose in your place. Accept him. Agree with him <laughs> that you are a sinner, and that you are in need of saving, and that he's the only one that can do it. And if you do, he will be saved. So those are two essential applications that I want to leave us with as we think about justification this afternoon and as the worship team comes back up in conclusion 
How can sinful human beings be made right with a holy God? That holy God has to make you right with him. And he did and he does. And that's what we see in this wondrous doctrine of justification. Praise God for his justification. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this afternoon. We thank you for, yeah, declaring us righteous. All of us who have put our faith in Jesus, that you have declared us righteous by doing so. Not based on anything that we have done or could do, but only on the basis of what Christ has done alone. And help us, God, as Christians, to continue to believe that, to continue to rest in that, God. And it's not based on any of us. We're all worker bees in here. We all want to work, but you call us to rest. So please help us to rest this afternoon, Lord, and this week, Lord, trusting in what you have done alone for our salvation. And for anyone who doesn't know you, Who's also trying to work too, trying to clean themselves up, trying to prove themselves, help them to receive you by faith and also rest, rest in what you have done to save them. I pray that you would do that, Lord. We thank you for justifying us, you being the the, the one who is just and the justifier and that being on display. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.